Welcome to another episode of the Underdog Physician Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Prashant Falfer. Dr. Falfer is an emergency medicine trained physician who currently serves as the head of strategy at First HX. First HX is an AI-powered clinical engagement platform that empowers patients to share their medical story. Welcome to the podcast, Prashant. Thanks for having me, Anish. So let's get started with your underdog story. Tell us about your journey towards becoming a physician and getting into the head of strategy position at first HX. So I, I grew up in Toronto in Canada, and I guess I always had a bit of an underdog mentality coming from a city that often looked up or compared itself to New York City, which was bigger and better. And, and um, in addition to that, growing up in the 80s and 90s, none of our sports teams, except for a couple of years for the Toronto Blue Jays, did very well. So the underdog story has been very familiar to me. I was a kid growing up. I started um, a, my med school training with no real idea of where I wanted to end up. For me, it was an opportunity to explore and, and expand the, the opportunities out there for me as a career as a, and delay that decision to finally pick something that I really liked. My most formative moments in med school were experiences working up in remote northern Canada and in indigenous communities, often communities that were only accessible by plane. And so in addition to the to the adventure associated with those experiences, I think it became clear to me from early on that the social context in which we practice medicine adds so much complexity and stimulation and challenge to our jobs <clears throat> that I knew that I would always work in an environment where I was uh, supporting the underdog, so to speak. And now the majority of my clinical practice takes place in emergency departments in the suburbs of Toronto, which are often fast-growing areas, high immigrant populations, low socioeconomic status, and are often underfunded relative to a lot of the downtown city academic emergency departments. So being an underdog or being involved, part of an underdog story and supporting the underdog has always been a, a big part of my DNA. Wow, that's an amazing story. And it sounds like maybe that exposure in medical school is what sounds like shaped your desire to become an emergency medicine trained physician. Yeah, I always felt like the, I always felt that emergency medicine, it fit my personality to the yeah. to the T. In addition to the variety, the stimulation, the the unexpected um, surprises you would receive as a place where everyone and anyone can come seeking care, I think, spoke to my interests, as well as the idea that the emergency de department is often the backstop of a of a healthcare system and the the place of last resort for a lot of patients. And so that would definitely shape my practice or that's definitely shaped how I've approached my non-clinical career. And so as a young emergency physician, I didn't have any particular plan to go into entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. uh, I followed projects that interested me, things that interested me. And, and quickly in emergency medicine, you realize that there's so many macro level problems to fix um, in, in our system. And so the first decade of my career, I spent a lot of time with quality improvement in standardization of care and, and running an emergency department, building high performing teams. And um, all through COVID, I up until the end of COVID, I held a number of organizational hospital or regional level roles in our public system in Canada. The most interesting or one of the most interesting aspects of that job was the adoption of digital health innovations 
to improve care, whether it was to decrease physician or clinician burnout, improve flow through the emergency department, improve patient outcomes, standardize care, reduce unnecessary testing. The adoption of digital health into our system was always of interest to me. And so through the last few years after doing my MBA, I've spent a lot more time on the other side advising digital health startups and then taking on a, a bigger role with First History, which is an, an awesome company of clinician technologists interested in solving one of the most difficult problems uh, at the beginning of any patient journey, which is how do you get the history from the patient the first time and get it right and then that, that and how that influences the rest of the patient's care journey. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, they say um, there's art to medicine. And I think for me personally, as a hospitalist, a lot of that relies on your ability to to get a good history. Because the condition, you know, might might present the same way, but the symptoms that the patient experiences, the socioeconomic factors around those experiences might be completely different. And I think, I think history taking is definitely, I think, one of the most crucial things we can do as clinicians, getting a good history. So yeah. it's great to hear that there's a startup that's geared towards empowering patients yeah. to be able to tell their story. And we'll definitely get more into the first HX, how that happened. But I think you mentioned one of the key things, which was that you became a physician and you, you started taking on these administrative positions that, to an extent, cultivated this desire to also pursue a non-clinical track. So, And I think for a lot of my audience, a lot of them are new and coming physicians or their residents. And this is something that they always wonder is how do I get into these board positions or advisory positions that we see, you know, certain physician community being a part of. So what's like the best advice you could give? I think follow your interests and let your curiosity lead you. I think there's no correct path as a clinician. And I think we have to all start with the recognition that we work in, a, in a, an incredible space of privilege and career in medicine affords you the opportunity to experiment, to continue to learn, to try new things. And, and so early on in your med school training, I think getting a strong, I'm a big believer in, in if you want to make an impact beyond um, clinical medicine at the macro level, getting a strong foundation in the one-on-one -on -one care, really diving deep into your clinical rotations, your residency, and doing a good job in that sets you up then for taking on macro challenges, whether that's the research, quality improvement, innovation, entrepreneurship, education, teaching, technology, whatever it may be, grounding yourself in your clinical work first, I think is, is the approach I would recommend. And then letting... Um, the curiosity of what is really pulling you um, to explore different things. And we have a tendency in medicine mm -hmm. to think the solution to any problem is more education, right? Fellowships and master's degrees, PhDs. And sometimes, sometimes just doing is the correct first step. I think a lot of entrepreneurs will give you that advice, right? There's no amount of formal education that can prepare you for an entrepreneurship journey. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to start, build right. something, Get your first customers, see if see what they're saying, and and then go from there and learn on the go. And so I think, I think for a lot of um, medical students, people entering the profession, it's very easy to get caught up, especially with social media, on what your mentors are doing, people you look up to are doing, and comparing yourself to people who have you know fancy titles, 
jobs um, with large reputable organizations. And rather than sort of working backwards from, well, I want to be like that person, how do I get there? I think taking a more prospective approach of, hey, what's really like, what, what do you find yourself reading about at night? What podcasts are you listening to? What shows are you watching? What's really capturing your attention and taking the next step that's an action in pursuing that, whether it's a small bite-sized project, whether it's a business idea, whether it's a research project. And then once you've achieved some success or accomplished something in that regard, then go back and reflect and say, okay, are there new skills that I need to learn? What can I do to train better in this area? Um, leverage or um, rather scale my impact in that area. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds to me like the, the process you're describing, you know, to an extent happens organically over time, where you're exploring your passion, interest, finding, you know, your strengths, your weaknesses, and, and kind of letting, going with the flow and figuring out what you're really good at also. Um, to have the most impact and, and be able to leverage your skills. Absolutely. And I'm 16 years out since I graduated from med school and I'm still trying to figure it out. And I, I think for me, the process and the journey is much more yeah, than the destination. Impo- important than the destination for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can definitely relate to that too. Yeah, that's definitely true. Speaking of podcasts and mentors, um, what's like, in what ways have they shaped you or, and, you know, who, who do you listen to for a podcast and, and, or who are your mentors if you have any? Yeah. So I, I'm lucky enough to have um, some great peers that I work with. And so going through COVID um, on the front lines in a hot spot in Canada brought me even that much closer to my clinical colleagues and first and foremost, those are the most important people in my professional life, the people I work with every day at the front lines and even though I have all these interests outside of clinical medicine, I think those relationships that the peer mentorship that I get is important. And so I think when people talk about mentorship, we always focus on those ahead of us, those with positions of power, influence, and that that is important. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, but I think equally important is having strong peer mentorship. And so for me, I love my clinical career and I'm not willing to give that up at this moment. And so that part of my life is is really important. And, and with that comes the CME. And and so a lot of the podcasts I would listen to are probably more clinical or non-medicine related and less so, I, I, got, I must admit, in terms of healthcare entrepreneurship and data and uh, tech health tech related podcasts, I, I really haven't gotten into that. I listen to some of the more sort of popular mainstream podcasts. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and there's so many and I think there's so many different you know, niches in the podcast that you can listen to. But I think for me personally, I think the best starting point is listening to these podcasts. I think networking, you know, going Absolutely. to conferences. Uh, what, what's the, have, have you been to any conferences or any conferences you recommend to our audiences who are interested in getting into the digital health startup scene? Well, I think there's a lot. I think in terms of the big flashy ones, HLTH, Vive, um, hymns are obviously the big go-to and, and, and they can be somewhat intimidating and overwhelming. And I, you know, I've been to all of them in the last past year and they're been a lot of fun. I think I must say that people in the digital health world, uh, as someone who's a relative newbie to the digital health space are incredibly welcoming, incredibly generous with their time, incredibly friendly. And there is a sense of community amongst clinicians and on and technologists and, and business people interested in digital health and in coming together to solve complicated problems. So I really appreciate that. And it's been a lot of fun. I think every city also has their own local 
seen depending on what city you're in. And, and so finding those local networks, I think, is a good first step. It's less of an investment to go to conferences where there's no travel. And, and I think you'll have more intimate settings where you can make personal relationships. And I think as you part of any exploration of any new interest or passion you may have in as you're figuring out your healthcare career, definitely finding individuals who are doing something similar, maybe a step or two ahead of you, several steps ahead of you and trying to learn from them, get to know them, I think is definitely a, a first step to take. Yeah, absolutely. I think conferences are definitely big. It's something personally that I myself am trying to get more involved with, especially now that these conferences are happening in person, yeah. which is a nice change. And that's definitely something that I would recommend to to our audiences that are listening. Even if you can't go to all of them, at least you know go to one or two that you feel yeah. would resonate with you the most and would offer you the best networking opportunities. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of networking, what's what's your take on LinkedIn and using Twitter for these networking opportunities to get involved in the digital health startup? I think first of all, there's a there's a, a health tech community called Health Tech Nerds. It's a paid Slack community that I find has been incredibly helpful and and I would say definitely worth looking into if you're if you are um, specifically interested in digital health. That's the only one I know of in that space. That's why I mentioned it and. Yeah, it's been a it's been very helpful for me personally. I think um, LinkedIn and Twitter is I'm, I'm not a, by any means a social media expert. I, I don't post regularly. I'm not a right. I would say, but there's a lot of people who do a great job of using those platforms to um, to market themselves, their enterprises, their work. And I'm not the person to ask about that. I'm still right, right. and so, early to the game there, and something yeah. that I have to work on personally. Right, right. No, the Slack community, the Health Tech Nerds is a great community that I myself am a part of. I'll post a link to them in, in the in the show notes. Just to, Now we're just going to pivot a little bit to learn about how you got into the um, the the position, the head of strategy position itself. Were there any courses or anything in particular that you felt you needed in addition to the administrative roles that you've done as a physician or anything that you felt would have better prepared you? For, for your for your current role? I think having done an MBA during COVID, I would say that some of the foundational business knowledge of an MBA has been super helpful, but more than anything else, it's been learning on the job. And and I started advising versus during COVID while I was doing my MBA and just has t- taken on um, organically a, a bigger role as as we progressed. And, and again, going back to your underdog yeah. question at the beginning, you know, it's it's very much another example of where we're a clinician-led tech company who has a strong belief in in what we're doing and the, our approach to how do you digitize a historically very analog process. But it, you know, we're up against some pretty big players who are now, thanks to large language models, also yeah. in this space. And so, it's been a lot of fun. But I would say, um, I think, especially with entrepreneurship, I think you learn a lot by doing and. While your um, your buffer for error can sometimes be very small, especially in this environment where funding for startups is not yeah. what it was five years ago, I still think the biggest the, the biggest advice is just go and do something, go do it, right, and and, and learn organically and and fill in the gaps of your knowledge as you go along. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the other questions that I also get commonly asked, and I think also because for for me working as a hospital, it's like I have flexibility in my scheduling and same goes for you. How important 
is that would you say to you know to someone who's maybe you know pursuing another specialty um you know yeah. that may not have the same flexibility or ability to make your own schedule yeah and i think that's a huge challenge and and first of all i have a, a lot of respect for physician entrepreneurs who are 100% they leave their clinical practice to focus 100% on entrepreneurship right i'm a strong believer that for our healthcare for our health systems and our and health outcomes to improve you need clinicians um leading the charge in innovation and so i think having that clinical mindset expertise experience provides a lot of value i, I think recognizing that if you are working clinically you need to be able to find a balance and you can't do everything and sometimes as physicians especially we take on too much and then that's a recipe for disaster because you know your, your clinical practice is affected your entrepreneurship work will be affected and then your personal health and family life will also be affected and so i think whatever specialty you choose and you're right like emergency medicine is we're super lucky to be flexible month to month and how much we work and right. and um and upshifting and downshifting according to your the demands of the things you're doing outside of work is a very again privileged position to be in and other specialties don't necessarily have that same flexibility. So if if you're choosing a specialty, I mean, I think, first of all, that should be for everyone, especially now in in the way, the, how we look at work is changing. Pick your specialty with that as a, a priority flexibility. If you know that you're starting to get a sense in med school that you want to do other things outside of your clinical career. And so make sure that that's a, a criteria yeah, uh, for your which specialty pick, and if you do pick a specialty, find your specialty um, where you have less flexibility. I would say that at that as a blanket statement, it is true. There are certain specialties where you have an office practice, you know, regular ORs, yeah. and it's very hard to get a job that allows that. Um, nonetheless, you know, there's a lot of people doing a lot of creative things with exactly. the, with part time work and and sharing offices, etc. And and more and more, I think that's. The way we're going and a lot of other countries do a much better job of this like in australia you can do a part-time residency oh, and so right so so i think i think the trend or the you know the, the the overton window for how we look at um clinical work in north america especially is going to change i absolutely i think there's a lot of fluidity and i think the best way goes with any specialty you know finding mentors or networking with people who are doing you know, we're part of the same specialty and perhaps doing some of the things that you're interested in doing just to learn and see if it's something you're even interested in. Absolutely. Um, so that's a, that's a good suggestion. So I think the next thing I wanted to ask you was, um, like you mentioned underdog and I know we used to, you know, we used the word underdog a lot. What is one time when you faced a challenging situation or a failure or a setback that you had that, forced you to kind of reevaluate or, you know, kind of like discover, rediscover yourself and figure out if this is something you really want to pursue because the road to entrepreneurship is full, it's filled with so much uncertainty. Yeah. And I think a lot of us go into healthcare just because of the certainty that, that it brings. So what, what's kind of like the mindset work that you had to do to be okay with that? So, yeah, no, that's fair. That's a good question. And so, as I mentioned in the first decade of my career, I spent a lot of time in in various hospital level and regional level leadership roles. And then, um, COVID was a challenging time, both from my clinical perspective and where I worked. So during COVID, in addition to having the the challenge of um, being in a hotspot and the clinical work, 
I did have a couple setbacks professionally in terms of my leadership career, as well as some personal health issues that did make me mm-hmm. stop and reanalyze what it is I want out of a career. And I think ultimately I went back to why did I start doing non-clinical work mm-hmm. at the outset? And I think for me, there's three criteria that I use on um, any decision I make going forward on a career. And I think, again, super uh, important to recognize how lucky we are in our profession to have yeah. this amount of control and ability to change up our, our careers as we go on. But for me, the three things that are really important are, am I working with people that I enjoy working with and who I think are good people? Um is the problem that we're working on interesting to me? Is it something I want to solve? Is it something that I find myself thinking about a lot? And can I add value, right? And so if all yeah. three of those things line up, then it's, you know, so long as I have the bandwidth, I'd love to do it. Now, do I get myself in trouble where I take on a little too much? Absolutely. Yeah. But that's a that's a continuous sort of, that's why continuous reassessment of what you're doing is important. I think that taking on too much is a common trait among a lot of physicians. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm and getting I, better at it for sure. Yeah, I know. It's always, for me personally, it's always a work in progress. And I think you mentioned why. And, and you know, to the, to the listeners out there, I think one good book that uh, that influenced me a lot was a book called Find Your Why. Right. Which I'll post a link to also. If you have any other book recommendations, you know. No, my one of my good friends shared with me an article. Um, it's a blog post written by Tim Tim Urban on his weight but why blog post on choosing a career. I'll send you the link. And oh yeah, I can post. I can post that. I'll post the blog in the, in the. And it's a bit of a it's a long read, but it's definitely an article that's shaped my thinking about picking a career and the importance of looking at a career as something you're going to do uh, not just till. Like this idea that you work really, really hard and then you retire, right? And then uh, you delay gratification and you, and you set everything up for your retirement. I think is a is a a concept that no longer applies to modern society. And I think you should look at a career as a balance between pursuing those interests that really appeal to you, making sure that you know you're earning enough money to support your family, and also having the balance to do the things that are important to you when you can. And doing that consistently for the for for your lifespan, I think is is a is a better, healthier way of looking at careers. Well, no, that is a great insight, Prashant. I definitely, you know, I definitely do agree with you. Uh, I think a lot of us focus on career in certain contexts, but I think also fulfillment is something that sometimes gets overlooked in the process. And I think that for me personally, is very important. Is finding a career that fulfills me. Um, you know, yeah. the personal and professional development. So that is a good point there. And and thanks for sharing this article, which I'll definitely post. To conclude, um, what is like one piece of advice you would give to to the listeners in um, like a one sentence kind of? Have a bias for action early in your career. Take advantage of the, the opportunities to do and trial and error and experiment with what you want out of your career. And then... Take you know, take frequent pauses to reflect and reassess and and go there. And really, for me, there's just there's so much that we have in terms of opportunity as a physician. And it's definitely been a, been a fun profession to be a part of. And I and, you know, I look forward to being a physician for many, many, many more years. 
Absolutely. That, that's such a great point. And I think self-reflection is definitely something that I personally have been doing a lot more in the form of journaling. And I think it's helped me tremendously in terms of, you know, helping me prioritize what I really value, what I don't. And, you know, so, so that that's definitely a, a great suggestion there. Thank you so much, Prashant, for joining the podcast, for giving all these valuable insights to our listeners. And we're excited to, to you know, to see you grow. And we're excited for your startup, First HX. Thanks so much, Anish, for having me. Have a great day. It was a pleasure chatting with you.